In Matthew 13, Jesus there in the passage that Dylan read for us basically describes that most of the Christians will fall away. There will be some that are sown on the path where they hear the world, but the hear the word and they respond, they become a Christian, but the devil snatches them away. Then there are some who are on stony ground where they just don't have deep roots. And so when there's trials and troubles, they fall away. And then there are others that the cares and the, the, our jobs and maybe even pursuing the dollar were like the thorny so, uh, soil and the cares and the cares, uh, the cares of this world just snatch us away. I'm confident that you're here tonight because you're wanting to be the good soul, because you're wanting to receive the word and then produce, produce other Christians. So tonight we're looking at the topic of how we can develop spiritual resiliency. Now, if you've ever flown, you know the instructions um, before you take a flight. And one of, the, one of the parts of the instructions may go like, well, if there's a decrease in cabin pressure, these masks will plop down out of the ceiling and you're supposed to grab one, put it on yourself, and then look to those around you to assist them if they need help. And so tonight, as we look at developing spiritual re resiliency, we need to look at ourselves first to make sure that we can be resilient. But also, part of the good soul is looking at those around us to see if we can develop spiritual resiliency in them. Last week, Neil, uh, in his Sunday night lesson, he talked to us about spiritual resiliency, and he talked about uh, being in a spiritual Babylon. And this concept is, is that the world around us is not really Christian. And so we live in a world that the culture around us is not what we learn about here. And so as we live in the world and we function in the world, we have to become resilient. And then even David this morning as he talked with us, he talked about that balance as Christians, about having a balanced life. And the reality is, is we get off balance when, when Satan throws us off balance, when he throws trials and tribulations at us, or when we just have struggles of living as humans in this world, when we have sickness and, and struggles of our own pursuits or struggles that we cause ourselves, and we get off balance. And so this concept of resiliency is one where we bounce back, where we keep on. And there are several scriptures that bring this to mind. Um, our definition that we're going to use for spiritual resilience is the continuity of religious beliefs and practices and how those guide a person's work and mission through changing events and circumstances in life. Now, I used that official definition uh, in some of the research that I did the, over the last few years, but what that basically means is when trials and uh, tribulations in life happen, is do we maintain our religious beliefs and our religious practices? Do we keep on keeping on? Are we like Job, who in Job 1, 21, 22, that we 
would say, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. In other words, he was resilient. Even though he had these uh, struggles and it was very tough on him, he kept going. He did not lose his faith in God. One of the passages that David shared with us this morning was Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18 and basically says, if everything around us fails, almost like it did in COVID, if everything fails, will we still rejoice in the Lord? Will we take joy in the God of our salvation? That is being uh, resilient. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 11 tells us, finally brought be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It doesn't mean that in life as Christians, everything's going to be gravy, that we're going to live a life without struggles. But being resilient means that despite the schemes of the devil, if we put on the whole armor of God, we'll be able to stand. Romans 8.28 tells us, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Again, it doesn't mean that all that happens to us will be good. But we as Christians understand that all things work together for good. And then James 1, 2, and 4 tells us, uh, and Neil mentioned this last Sunday night, to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of produces steadfastness. So that steadfastness is what we're looking at tonight. But the reality is, is that the majority of Christians are not being steadfast. They're not resilient. Let's look at a few stats. In some research, in, as people responded to surveys and asked, uh, do you happen to be a member of a church, synagogue, or mosque? This is in the U.S. You notice the trends from 1938 to 2018. For quite a while, it hovered in the mid-70s uh, percentile of those who would say, yes, I'm a member of a church. And it grew a little, uh, a little around the end of uh, World War II, uh, grew to 76%, then there was a decline, but then another uptick right around uh, after September 11th, 2001. But then after that time, we've seen a steady decline, and over the last five years, we've seen a sharp decline to where now, if as people answered that same question in 2018, um, there were 50% that answered uh, that question in the positive. As we look at churches of Christ in, in more detail, the number of churches has uh, declined 8.5% from 2000 to 2018. Now the stats aren't out just yet uh, for after that. We know that COVID took away even more of the congregations affiliated with the church. But we see the decline that has happened from 2000 to 2018. Total members of the Church of Christ has also declined by 13% from 2000 to 2018, from about 1.6 million to 1.4 million in those times. And the, what's scary about it is the last three-year interval about doubled the previous 
three years. So there's a sharp decline. And this is not just in the Church of Christ. So I showed you the stats of all religion as a whole in the U.S., but this is uh, directly affiliated with the Churches of Christ. Furthermore, 65% of the congregations have 99 or fewer members with the average of 47. 35% of the congregations have 49 or fewer members uh, with the average of 29. Now, I've looked at this with a, uh, what, to dissect a little bit more what are the implications for Christian education. But as a whole with churches, um, we need to be aware of what's going on. And my point is not to scare you, but to simply relay facts. And the facts are there is that most Christians are not resilient. We're not keeping our faith. As we look at generationally, uh, when those that would just say that they have a religion, we'll, we'll water it down to just that. Those that say they have a religion, traditionalists, those born 1945 or earlier, 89% of them say they have a religion. Now the baby boomers, 84% of them say they have a religion. Generation X, which I'm a part of, 79% uh, of them say that they have a uh, religion. And you, we see millennials, it's 68%. So we see the trends is that the younger the generation, the less likely that they uh, have a religion or sticking with a religion. So it brings us to this point, and uh, we're, it's about the time uh, we're kicking off school and we have a lot of college students coming in, several here tonight. And so what we're looking at is a little bit more about this emerging adulthood life stage. And this is really only evident in the United States and some other Western cultures. And it's basically this time frame where we have pushed kids so much. Uh, it used to be when you turned 18, you're ready to get out and your parents were ready to get you out too. And you really didn't come back home after then. But now we've kind of delayed adulthood and we push kids to go to college, which I, I'm in education. I think that's a great thing. But we've delayed, really, adulthood. And so there's this period of time in Western cultures from 18 to 25 where they're still somewhat under the parent's wing. But they have a lot of freedoms and a lot of choices. And so it's the least structured time of life. It's basically where, uh, where they don't really have a... A schedule. Pretty much everything before them, their parents set a schedule, and a lot of times it was very busy. After then, you have a job, and hopefully, and you uh, have to get up and go to work. And so you have a very structured time of life. But this period from 18 to 25 is one where it's the least structured time of life. There's frequent residency changes. Uh, just in, as I look at my two girls uh, and look at their uh, last couple years, how many times they've changed residency. Uh, my youngest stayed abroad this summer. And uh, last summer she was working in Mobile. But she, uh, has, she goes to Harding University, but she's staying in, this is her third place. So one year was in one dorm, another year in a different dorm, now it's in an apartment. 
And so there's a lot of residency changing, even when they get out of college. It's a time of identity explorations. It's a time of reconsidering beliefs, okay? Are these my beliefs? Or are they my parents' beliefs? And it's a time when we'll say that they're vulnerable, but also full of possibilities. Us as a congregation, we should be excited about this. We should be excited that, hey, the possibilities are that we have more young people visit. And some of these may be coming. They may not have grown up in the Church of Christ. They may not have grown, might not have grown up in having a faith at all. And so it's a possibility for us. They may be invited from some of their friends to come here. And so the hope is, uh, as a congregation, that we can reach those. At the same time, the fear is, as parents, that they may uh, fall away. And likely, during this time frame is one of the times when young people are the most vulnerable uh, to falling away. David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock wrote a book, and Neil referred to this last Sunday. We want to dive a little bit more into it. So the book was entitled Faith for Exiles, and I was able to meet with uh, Mr. Uh, Matlock and really dive into the research and, and study it and look at it. And they conducted a, a longitudinal study from 2007 to 2018 that involved hundred, uh, many thousands of individuals over this extended time that they surveyed and, and looked at. And one of the disturbing facts that Neil shared last week is close to two-thirds of Christians drop out. Only 10% are resilient. Now, the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 13 shared the reasons why people drop out, the different types of soil. It basically explains why they drop out. And that hasn't changed from the time that Jesus uh, started, uh, preached that. At the same time, I, we're interested, and David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock were interested, well, how about that 10%? What was their characteristics? What did they have? What did they do? And the question is, what, what made them resilient? What made them keep on keeping on? And do we have that? Do I have that? Do you have that? Do our kids have that? And that's the question we're going to dive in a little bit more tonight. So as we look at this topic, what we want to ask is who's responsible for, uh, whose responsibility is it to prepare young people for life in a spiritual Babylon? Whose responsibility is it? Is it? Let's look at a few scriptures that share with us what God thinks about this. First of all, it's the primary responsibility of parents. The Israelites were to ed educate their children what God had done for them. In Exodus 13, 8 and 9, scripture said, And you shall tell them, you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. Basically, parents are to tell their kids what God has done for them, how God has brought them through. And this was instructed even to the Israelites. God's truths were to be passed down from generation to generation. In Psalm 78, 5 through 7, God appointed a law in Israel which he commanded to our fathers that they should make them known to their children. 
make God's laws known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Basically, the concept is that each generation would tell the ch- their children so that they in turn would tell their children um, when it was their time to be parents. Fathers in particular are to teach their children. Uh, we're given specific instructions as fathers. In Isaiah 38, 19, we're told the father shall make known your truth to the children. Ephesians 6, 4 tells us, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And so parents in general are to be the primary teachers of God's word to their children with its special specific instructions by fathers. But also notice that it's a 24 hour, seven day a week process that begins at birth and continues through maturity. So Deuteronomy 6, four through seven tells us, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And that's kind of like when the mask comes down, you put your mask on. But further than that, verse 7 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. So the concept is that's a 24-7 idea of teaching our children about God. And why is that? And that's because our kids go through different stages of life too. They go through different experiences as they get older and older. So different parts of God's word are more relevant than other parts at different times and phases of their life. But while it is the primary responsibility of parents, what we need to see is that grandparents, schools, and other Christians do have responsibilities as well. Grandparents have an important role. and You may not have heard this as much, but in Exodus 10, verse 2, the Bible tells us, and that you may tell them in the hearing of your son and your son's son, the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Basically, you're to tell your children and your grandchildren about the things God has done for you. Deuteronomy 4.9 tells us, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you, com- lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. When I was in college, I had the opportunity to travel with uh, Jack Zorn, um, and we would help start Last Leaders congregations, uh, I mean Last Leaders programs at different congregations. And one of the things that Dr. Soren always said pretty much in every congregation was the influence that grandparents had. And so, uh, one of the things he would share is that grandmothers are considered to be the most influential people in a ch- child's life. That's always stuck with me and I relate to that because it was that way in my life. My grandparents had a great spiritual impact on me, even though I grew up mainly in North Alabama and 
some uh, one set lived in Tennessee and the other in Michigan, and I didn't get to see them sometimes, but once or twice a year. But they had a great impact on me. Paul knew this about Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.5. Remember when Paul said, when I call to remembrance a genuine faith as in you, which dwelt first where? In your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded is in you also. So grandparents have an important role in the lives of our kids. Schools also have great influence. At least we hope so. Those of us that work in education hope that schools have uh, great influence. Paul said that Gamaliel had a lot of influence on him. He said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. So Paul was influenced at the school of Gamaliel. Neil mentioned last week uh, about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I believe Mr. Wiley uh, read uh, the scripture. But what we see is that they were trying to take, the Chaldeans were trying to take young people out of Israel and influence them and teach them the ways, their ways, not the Jewish ways, if you will. Notice the last part of this, in whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And so what they were trying to do was teach all these young Jewish boys the language and the literature of the Chaldeans so that they would know those things. We saw, see the same thing of uh, how Joseph was uh, tried to uh, be raised as well. One of the young men I interviewed as part of my research attended attended a school, a college in New Orleans, and I'll, I won't mention the college, but he said uh, one of the things that out of all the people I interviewed, he's, what he said struck me the most. He said, do you not know that while I've been here at college, I have not met one other Christian, not even somebody that claims to be a Christian, I've not met one, one other college student that's like that. And none of my teachers seem to be that way as well. That struck me. And it struck him. He was really struggling in his faith. And part of that was because everyone around him uh, was not a Christian. It reminds me a lot of what Neil was describing uh, last Sunday night uh, in a spiritual Babylon. Other church members are to teach as well. In Titus chapter 2, verses 2 through 6, we see this picture of a healthy church. And it's basically one where the older men are sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, and love and patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not giving them much wine, teachers of good things. Notice verse 4 that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort young men to be sober minded. So, a healthy church is one where all Christians are engaged in this intergenerational relationships where the whole church is trying to influence each other for Christ. And so 
not only do parents have a responsibility and grandparents have a responsibility, schools can have an influence. We also see that other church members uh, have a responsibility to teach as well. So let's dive a little bit more. Neil mentioned a few of these last week. What made the 10% stick with their faith? What made them resilient? There's five practices that all these that stuck with their faith had. And we're going to touch on those just a little bit more tonight. The question is, do we have those, are we resilient? Do we have these same characteristics? If not, do we need to work on one of them? And then the second thing is, as we try to have an influence on our kids and young people, even college students, those in their 20s, as we look at this, how can we uh, develop, help encourage and develop resilient Christians? If you are one of that age group, let's look at ourselves and see, am I resilient? So the first one is that resilient Christians experience Jesus. And Neil touched on this some last week. But does that mean that they show up every time the doors are open for services? Yes, that's an indication. But the second is more than that. Sometimes in the church we may feel like if we just get Sunday right, that will take care of everything. And we work on Sunday and we want a good song later and good presentation. And, and it's important for Sundays to be right. But the sign of a resilient Christian is one that experiences Jesus throughout the week one that's engaged in daily Bible study, one that's engaged in talking with Jesus, uh, talking with God, if you will, um, throughout the week, one that's engaged in spiritual activities other than worship, whether it's Bible studies with other people, conversations with their parents or with other people about religious things, one that experiences Jesus. The second is cultural discernment. And this idea of cultural discernment is a realization of, as we look around the world around us, what is of God and what's not of God. Realizing what's healthy, what lines up with Scripture, and what does not, to make sure that we're living uh, what's right. The third concept, and Neil mentioned this last week, is forging intergenerational relationships, meaningful relationships. The reality is, is that young people in particular, uh, especially college students, see through things and they don't want fake. They don't want fake. They want real relationships and all of us are that way. And it goes beyond the, hi, how are you doing? Uh, I'm fine. How are you at, at services? It's a deeper, it's a meaningful relationship. It's a relationship with somebody that you can talk with more than just how are you doing. When you, somebody you can go to uh, when you're struggling and you need somebody to talk to. It may be a relationship with somebody younger you, than you that you're having an influence on and having a positive interaction with. So meaningful intergenerational relationships. The fourth concept is training for vocational discipleship. This is doing what Paul uh, did in that uh, he was trying, as he worked his job of tent making, he was trying to connect with other Christians like Aquila and Priscilla, and he was trying to spread God's word while he was working in construction. And so this concept is that 
uh, people choose careers in that they find a way to serve God in their career. Whether it's having a conversation with somebody uh, that you interact with at, at your work. Or maybe your work is designed um, to help others. Whether it's in their uh, taxes or whether it's in a field like nursing. So training for vocational relationship. Finding a way to spread God's word in their work. And the fifth concept is engaging in countercultural mission. As mentioned, this world is not Christian. This country is not Christian in the way that we study the Bible. So it's a realization that uh, we live in a world where we are anti-culture, if you will, or counter-culture. And that's okay, but we don't shrink from that. We use that to minister or spread God's word with those that we uh, want. Those that are resilient uh, Christians are those that are engaging in conversations with people around them about Christ. They're telling others about Christ, whether how Christ is helping them or how Christ can affect the person around them. So these are the five practices of resilient faith. The question is, as we, number one, put our mask on first, are we resilient? Are we exhibiting these things? Second thing is, if we have children or grandchildren, are we engaging in these type of conversations to help them with these five areas? And then as a church, are we also helping our young people, whether it's those in teens, those in college, are we helping them? Are we helping them as they get out of college to have these characteristics of resilient faith? So let's just look at a few practical uh, things here as we kind of close up. Let's look at a few practical uh, suggestions for Lehman uh, to help us with these five practices of resilient faith. Number one, as we look at experiencing Jesus, Find ways to help our young people experience Jesus. Sometimes you text individuals. Maybe we need to reach out through them. Uh, that, uh, <clears throat> my kids uh, kind of laugh at my mother texting them, but they remember when she texts them. She'll send all these emojis, and they laugh at her emojis, but it makes a difference that she texts them. So are you... Uh, let's use that for Christ. Uh, send them a word of encouragement. Maybe it's to, a reminder to come to services. Maybe it's a scripture uh, or thought. Maybe we're engaging in social media that's a positive influence on them. Maybe it's engaging uh, some around us in home Bible studies. Um, maybe it's something like Grub Hut, um, Grub Night, uh, where we invite uh, the young people into our home uh, to have uh, a Bible stay and a meal uh, with them. Uh, <clears throat> maybe it's engaging with uh, young people outside of services to have those conversations about Jesus. 
I would say to sing their songs along with the old hymns, um, to sing songs that young people like to sing as well. They don't all have to be that way, but let's have some uh, mixed uh, in there as well. I put down Friday night singings. There are two congregations in town that have Friday night singings. We have our next one, I think this next Friday, coming up. What's neat about both of those Friday nights as I've been to them is that the, a good percentage of the people that are there are young people. It means they enjoy doing that and they enjoy engaging. If you're a new college student in town, I encourage you to come. Uh, a lot of times people will, uh, will eat before we sing, but some will even go after and uh, gather after. We encourage you to participate in those. Help our young people to discern the culture around them, to identify what is of Christ and what is not. Sometimes just asking our young people um, of what they see, what they experience, what they're being taught. And if they are being taught something that's not Christian and they identify it, that's good. At least they're... uh, they're using it as a learning point uh, to identify, okay, this is not from what lines up with God's word, but help them have that conversation. Engage in those conversations about the pressures, what they're going through, what kind of things they struggle with. Talk with them about that and help them to see those things that are countercultural uh, around them. Whoops. Third, forge meaningful intergenerational relationships. Sometimes we think that maybe it's older folks that young people don't want to be around us. But some of the most influential people in my life were the older folks that were willing to spend time with me, to influence me. I could go on and on about those. And what's neat is... um, like yesterday, I was sitting down, um, our daughter wanted to go to a restaurant in um, Searcy, Arkansas, and they had fried pies, something simple like that. Well, it got me talking about an older lady that I grew up with and uh, in, in part of our congregation in North Alabama, that she made good fried pies. So we got talking about that and talking about Uh, the relationship and the influence she had on me. And then even when Sarah and I first got married, she uh, gave some recipes to Sarah uh, when we uh, first got married. So engage in those conversations about those things and have those relationships with young people. Uh, They appreciate it. In last Wednesday night's huddle group, um, one of the uh, younger uh, folks mentioned going to the Grice's home um, to have a meal. And it, it impacted her, I know, because she mentioned it. And so it's having those relationships with intergenerations. Uh, Help young people train for vocational discipleship. Tell, help them understand how they can minister in their occupations of choice, especially if you've been in that occupation. But help them see uh, that, see the purpose in their work. And engage in countercultural mission. Help young people to thrive in the spiritual Babylon. Help them to be salt and light. 
they struggle. We all struggle with how to be a light, how to talk to others that are not Christians. Share uh, and give examples of how you have and ask about their experiences if they have. And all that, it's iron sharpening iron to help us all be resilient. So in closing, I hope that you're here and my gut feeling is that you're here because you want to be resilient. Life will throw a lot of things at us and these last couple of years uh, it has. Maybe you're in a tough time now. We look at scriptures like 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. That's a, a picture of resiliency. That yes, we're going to be knocked down by Satan. Yes, we're going to be knocked down by life. And bad luck if we uh, can call it that. But the point is, we're going through Christ, we're not crushed. We're not destroyed. We're going to get back up. Romans 8, 37, 38 says, Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God. We can be resilient. We can hang on uh, with God's love. In our... Our goal is to be like Paul at the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, where he said this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day. But not to me only, it gives us hope, but also to all who has loved his appearing. Maybe something that was said tonight realizes that maybe you have not been as resilient as you need. Maybe you realize that maybe you haven't influenced others the way we need to influence. The goal tonight is not to scare you with the, the decline in the church, but as a call to action to make sure that we're taking advantage of every opportunity we can to first make sure that we're in the place we need to be, but also to have a positive influence on others. The question is first, have you put on your mask? Are you where you need to be? If not, don't leave here tonight without making sure that you're where you need to be. If you haven't become a Christian, we'd love nothing better than to help you do that tonight by repenting of your sins and putting on Christ in baptism. If you're a Christian that has struggled and not been as resilient and you need the prayers of the church or perhaps there are other prayers that you need uh, for encouragement tonight, if we can help you in any way, please come as we stand and sing.